God, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. Daniel, chapter 1. This Memorial Day, I wanted to do a message entitled, I didn't have a title uh, that I really liked until just a few minutes ago when I was being pressed for a title. <laughs> so raising kids, you know, or raising godly kids in Babylon. And uh, Memorial Day is an exceptional holiday. Uh, we have some great holidays here in our country. We have some not so great holidays where you celebrate darkness like Halloween and what have you. But a Memorial Day, I think, is a, a precious holiday because uh, we remember uh, those who shed their blood to keep this country free, right? That's the ultimate sacrifice they could make, cut off their lives so you can have and I can have freedom. And that's just uh, mind-blowing, you know? Uh, my dad, he, veteran of World War II, did not uh, die for his country. He didn't have to. He was in the Philippines, and he is a paratrooper, and not too far from Japan, and he would have been dropped in Japan had not the atom bombs been dropped in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. So if that had happened, paratroopers don't typically come back when they're dropped in foreign land. I wouldn't be here today. Uh, but uh, So Veterans Day, we have another holiday to celebrate all the veterans, but Memorial Day is, and I praise God for my dad. He, just, he didn't just offer his life for the country, but he uh, lived his life in so many ways to uh, bless my mom and uh, us children through the years, you know? And I just, we think we should need to honor everybody that's gone before us that's given any kind of sacrifice for us, amen? But Memorial Day, man, that's like heavy. That, you're just, you're, these are people that are dying. Uh, and one of the most despicable things that's etched in my memory was, you know, and I've mentioned it before because it was just so despicable when a news story came across the screen or was reading, I can't remember when I saw it, but it was just, had impacted me so much was when a bunch of young people were kicking down the crosses of American soldiers in cemeteries who'd on D-Day gone in there to sacrifice their lives potentially, and all those guys did, to keep a foreign country free. Amen? That's, and, and they're kicking them down. That's sick, that's wicked. Well, guess what? A lot of people are spitting on Jesus and using his name as a cuss word when he died to save them. Just as despicable. To use his name in vain, to use it as a cuss word is, is remarkably sad. And uh, I think we forget two things. We forget our, in, our, in our country, we forget what people have done in bleeding and dying to give us freedom. And even worse, we forget what Jesus did in bleeding and dying to give us eternal freedom, amen? And this message, I hope, is something that the Lord uses to just resonate in your heart. Uh, if we don't understand who we are as a nation or how we got our, and we're not, it's not a perfect nation, it's not a perfect government, it's a government that's of the people, you know? But it's supposed to be under God. It's anything but that right now. Uh, with Now it's up to, this last count I saw, I used to say 62, now it's 63 plus million babies butchered innocent bloodshed in this nation. We're begging for judgment. And President Woodrow Wilson said, quote, a nation that does not remember, hence we're thinking about Memorial Day right now, uh, what it was yesterday does not know what it is today or what it is trying to do. We are about a futile thing if we do not know where we came from or what we have been about. Same thing is true for Christians who belong to the kingdom of God. We don't remember what Jesus did. 
If we don't remember that we're created in God's image, if we don't remember why we exist, which is to glorify him, we really won't understand how to live. We won't understand our future. Abraham Lincoln, in 1863, 100 years to the year before I was born, he said, quote, but we have forgotten God. Way back then, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Very interesting language. It sounds like he's taking this from Deuteronomy where the Lord warns the Jews when I bring you to the promised land, don't forget, you know, that you didn't build these houses. This is my land I'm letting you have. Not to equate at all, the United States of America to the promised land. Some people are doing that right now. It's like the new promised land. A lot of kingdom dominionists who don't want to, who want to ignore what the Bible says about the future in the book Revelation and so forth and that we could take over the world and we're replaced Israel and so forth. Those are lies from the pit of hell. But like that nation, our country has forgotten God. Intoxicated with unbroken success, says Lincoln, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. Wow. That's long before, just over 100 years before they started taking the commandments off the walls of the schools, right? Amazing. It behooves us, Lincoln says then, to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Can you imagine if Joe Biden said that today? I think if he said that the next day, the vice president would become president maybe. I don't know. The wokeism crowd would have a, a collective heart attack. Now it's interesting. It, it's with a heavy heart, you know. I'm a little emotional lately because you just think of uh, what happened not too many days ago in Texas at an elementary school where 19 little kids were just gunned down by a madman, you know, a guy without a conscience, a couple teachers as well, and your heart just breaks. And now there's all this debate in the public discourse. Some are blaming it on the guns, you know. They're saying, wow, if we could just eradicate the Second Amendment and get rid of guns, the problem would go away, you know. Uh, you know, the Second Amendment guarantees you as an American the right to bear arms. And they say, let's take away that guarantee, that way we can just get rid of the guns, which is interesting because others would argue, well, President Obama said when he became president that even if we wanted to take away the guns, there's 350 million guns. That's more than there are people at that time. Now there's an estimated 400 million guns, more than there are people in our country. He said you'll never be able to get rid of all the guns, and he's right. That's true. You wouldn't. What you would do is all the obedient citizenry, for the most part, many of them anyway, would give away their guns, but who would keep their guns? The criminals. There was a project done, I think it was by Project Veritas, where they went door to door and they identified people that were anti-guns and wanted to get rid of, you know, take away guns from everybody, and they said, they pretended, I guess, that they were anti-gun, and they said, good, do you mind if we put a big sticker on your door that you are anti-having guns? And it's kind of humorous because you're like, no, why would you want people to know that? That would advertise that. Like, what are you talking about? That wouldn't be a good idea. 
Yeah, that wouldn't probably be a good idea, but if you take away everybody's guns, then the thieves' argument is, or the murderers, or the home invasions, which are up right now, there's no deterrence, right? I can go in there, rape the, kill the guy, rape the woman, kill her, and kill her kids, you know? And uh, so, so some would argue that that would make it even worse. Uh, now, some argue that every weekend where you have incredibly strict gun laws, it's, it's illegal. You can't buy a gun in Chicago, you know? But there's more people killed every weekend, it's argued, than there are that were killed in that elementary school. So obviously, you know, making a law where you can't have guns, they're not, those guns are going to be all over the place and they're going to be on the black market and it's mostly criminals that are going to be having them, you know? So it's pretty interesting when you think about it. Governor of Texas... Greg Abbott argued there are more people shot every weekend in Chicago than there are in schools in Texas. Now, I'm not here to make an argument one way or another. I know Jesus did say to his disciples, you know, if you don't have a sword, right? He said, he said to, to get a sword when they were traveling, you know? And uh, I do know also that there's a deeper problem is my point. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We have a sin problem. Okay, I remember my dad when I was just a young guy when they were talking about taking away guns then. And my dad was not a Christian at the time and nobody was in my family. I don't know that I'd become a Christian yet. It was right around that time. And, but it stuck in my head. He said, Joe, if I wanted to kill people without a gun, I would just take a truck on a... He would never do something like that. He's just saying what people could do is they take a truck on an elementary school campus and just mow a bunch of people down, just go through the fence, and then boom. He goes, I can get a lot more than I could with a gun. I don't know how true that is. I mean, you definitely would get some, but, he's ta he, but he understood that when there's, when there's wicked people, there's different means to kill people, right? When Cain killed Abel, God did not get rid of all the rocks, Right? So it's interesting, there's a deeper problem that we need to face. The Wall Street Journal, a bigger picture. The Wall Street Journal, top newspaper, interesting, stated, quote, today's young killers aren't motivated by material deprivation. They are typically from middle-class families with access to smartphones and Xboxes. Their deficit, their deficit is social and spiritual. Oh, I'm like, wow, the Wall Street Journal put its finger on the problem. The rise of family dysfunction and the decline of mediating institutions such as churches and social clubs have consequences. Children not growing up to know the Lord, right? And to be taught that they are basically lifeless zombies that don't have a spirit, which is a lie. To be taught that they're the product of evolution and they're basically just animals and the survival of the fittest is really what counts. And that there's no consequences to acting out in hatred this is the problem, guys. We've forgotten God. Abraham Lincoln put his finger on the pulse 150-some years ago. Wow. So it's just amazing when you think about it. And in the book of Daniel, there's some lessons here that are amazing. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, we read, in the, in the year, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
Now, God had warned Jerusalem and the southern kingdom because the northern kingdom had already been taken over 150 years or so prior by the Assyrians. But God preserved Judah, the southern kingdom, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, because their wickedness had not gotten to the degree of the northern kingdom, which was worshiping false gods and mixing worship of Yahweh with false gods. But then, God bless you, then Judah's sin and wickedness was even greater than that of the northern kingdom. And the Lord said, I'm going to bring in the Babylonians. And they besieged the city. And this was predicted long before in the prophets. Long before, not just Jeremiah and Isaiah, but even Deuteronomy in the law of Moses, we read this. In the law, it states in chapter 28, verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as an eagle swoops down a nation whose language you shall not understand. In Isaiah chapter 39, 5, we read, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, who was the king at the time, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that all that is in your father, that all your fathers have laid up in a store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons, and Daniel would be one of them, and some of your sons who will issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Not that he issued specifically from Hezekiah, but some of the royal family, some of the uh, politi politicians' sons and leaders' sons, uh, they would be, end up serving in the king's palace. Well, Daniel would be one of those men. Verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar. Remember the land of Shinar? Remember that's where the Tower of Babel had been built? Remember Iraq, modern-day Iraq? In fact, Babylon, the city of Babylon, was about 60 miles from Baghdad today, where Baghdad is at today in Iraq. Interesting. And it's interesting because he says that they'll be brought to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. And that was the way of saying, our God of Babylon has triumphed over your God, Yahweh. We are in control. So Babylon, I mean, at that, in that day, they, were, they had power over Egypt, Sudan, parts of uh, Iran, what's known today as Jordan, parts of Jordan, and parts of what's known today as Saudi Arabia, they were vast. They were the empire of the day. They were the ruling world empire. And in 605, they laid siege. They surrounded Jerusalem. And it's interesting because in 597, they had another siege. But in 586, as they close, got closer to Jesus' birth, and it's in 586 that they sacked Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. The temple had to be rebuilt. To this day, if you go on an Israel trip with us, one of the things we could do is we could look at the stones that are still uh, scorched because of the temple being burnt from that period when that happened under Nebuchadnezzar. Really fascinating. But it's interesting. Babylon is a picture of the end time Babylon, which is spiritual in the end time. And I do believe it refers to a literal city, but it's not the same Babylon because it's called mystery, Babylon mystery uh, the great, you know, it's a mystery, Musterion. 
And that's the same Greek word that's used in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, when it talks about just outside Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified, which it says is called Mystery Sodom and Egypt. Jerusalem or just outside of Jerusalem and Israel is not Sodom and Egypt, but it spiritually becomes like that in the end times because Israel resembles Sodom with the filth of sexual morality. It'll represent Egypt with the burgeoning occultism. There's 10 to 1 or more than 10 to 1 Jews right now that are in the occult in the New Age movement compared to those who are followers of Jesus. Amen? It's pretty sad. So it's interesting. The Bible talks in the book of Revelation about this, this beast system under Antichrist, and it talks about this whore of Babylon that rides his beast. And the beast doesn't like this whore of Babylon riding his empire. And just before the end of the tribulation, he destroys her with fire. So you have these two empires that kind of work together in the end. One, I believe, the beast empire, which will, uh, the Antichrist in the Middle East will sit in the temple. God show himself that he is God. I believe I have a huge Muslim following. You have a false prophet that looks like a lamb, represents Jesus, I believe. But he speaks like a dragon. He's going to be a false, a false Jesus, encouraging people to worship the beast. Yet that system, there'll be another system trying to manipulate that system. And right now, I mean, I'll get into it, a whole other message, but what, what people group manipulates the Middle East and has <laughs> power all over the world and has become like a harlot, okay? Okay, there's a lot more truth than that. It's just really heavy when we think about it. But I'm not here to discuss the identity of Babylon. I'm talking more about the spirit of Babylon and each of us has to watch out for it. Because one thing I love about Daniel, he's in the world, but he's not of the world. And God calls us to be in the world, but not of the world, amen? 1 John 2, 15 through 17, it says, of those who love the world, and it says the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the evil of the world. And those who participate in that, he says, you know, the world's gonna perish and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever, amen? And James 4, 4 says, you adulteresses, and that's what Babylon, she says, I sit as a widow. I, I'm not going to become a widow. So I'm not going to be conquered. You know, but she's an adulteress. She's a prostitute. And the, James 4, 4, one's, one's professing believers who become part of the evil world system and accept it. You adulteresses. That means they once were faithful to the Lord, but they become unfaithful. Know you not that friendship with the world becomes enmity with God? And whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can make yourself an enemy of God, the scriptures say. And it's interesting because Babylon the Great in the end times is a mother of harlots in the abominations of the earth. Systematically, she pollutes the earth with her immorality. That's what the scriptures say. And when we're looking at Daniel, we're seeing a great way to behave in Babylon. Not This isn't just for young people. This isn't just for parents. It's for each and every one of us that we are not affected by the spirit of Babylon. And Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which they came to be called throughout the book of Daniel. We read in verse three, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of what? The royal family and of the nobles, just like we read in the prophets. Jeremiah, Isaiah, that that's exactly what would happen. Now, he took their vessels and Nebuchadnezzar's plan was to indoctrinate them, was to re-educate them, 
was to make them loyal citizens of Babylon, was to get them to forget their God, forget his commandment, this, the first of the 10, right? That you shall know their gods before me. To forget the greatest of commandments, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, thy whole soul, strength, and might. To get him to forget all those things. Get them to forget all those things. And just remake them in his image. In the image of his false gods. And that was where this war is. And that's the same war that goes on for your heart and the heart of your children as they grow. Now it's interesting. His first tactic. There was a four-pronged approach a four-pronged approach of deception, of owning them and having their hearts. And the first part, the first prong is isolation. If you're taking notes, isolation. He wanted to isolate them. He wanted to isolate them. Read verse three again. What do we read in verse three? What, did, what happened? Then the king ordered uh, Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family, and of the nobles. He was taking them from their homeland, isolating them from their homeland, isolating them from their families, isolating them from their parents, from their godly friends, isolating them from worship of the temple, having destroyed the temple, isolating them from the priest who represented and, and taught Torah, isolating them from all those things. And that's one of Satan's way, main ways to attack you. It's one of the main ways to go after your children is to isolate them from you, from the parents and parental guidance. Oh, and he has a lot of tactics. Have you ever heard of social media? That's a great isolator, isn't it? The smartphone, it's a great isolator. I was just talking to a gentleman who interviewed me and he working with others and wanted to know if I would help in some way maybe uh, toward the off, off air, he said, because they're trying to, I'm not sure, maybe they've already got it together, but he said, would you like to be on this list? And I said, I need to think about it, pray about it. And uh, creating a uh, gab phone. Looks just like a smartphone, but it has no internet access. Doesn't, have, doesn't allow that whole cesspool to flood your kid's heart and mind, you know? So they can still call you and call, you know, you know and so forth and talk, but that doesn't give you the dangers of uh, the internet. I just thought, that's interesting. There's such isolation going on today. Have you seen what's happened with COVID when they locked down all the kids? They were isolated. Do you know the numbers went through the roof for depression among little kids? Mental illness among little kids? Mental illness, quote unquote, because of the isolation they had from others, parents at work, right? Uh, and just isolated with social media and so forth. And these are real flesh and blood kids Thousands and thousands of them, deep depression, suicidal, mental illness. You and I as parents need to make sure we teach our children that isolation is bad. See, the Bible tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, amen? And what does, who does, Satan, who does, the, what does the lion go after? The animal that's strong in the middle of the pack? And No, he goes after the one that's been isolated, right? Who think that they got it on their own, they're okay, or what have you, that get kind of, oh, I don't need to be by, with the herd. Well, the Bible calls, tells us that we're sheep for a reason. Amen. We're created to follow our shepherd. And we're created to follow him together. Amen. So it's important that you teach your children by way of application that you belong to the body of Christ, that you need to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Amen. 
and that you need to make sure you're with the flock because Satan is a roaring lion and he wants to devour you and rip you from shed, shred to shred. But guess what? You have a good shepherd that the enemy cannot snatch you out of his hand. Amen. And he will uphold you. And you need to teach your children and you need to know yourself. The Bible says not to forsake the fellowshipping of yourselves together. A, a verse I quote a lot along with the other verse right next to it. But we're to what? To gather together all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. Amen. And what are you supposed to do? Stimulate one another to what? Love and good deeds. To encourage one another. If you didn't hear last Wednesday's message on kindness, and I give all kinds of scientific facts that are just the opposite of what porn does. Porn destroys your brain, right? Destroys the frontal lobe of your brain. If you're into porn and you're watching porn, it causes, this is not theoretical, it's proven it causes brain damage. It's going to make you retarded. Honestly, it will. Thank God you can renew your mind, the Bible says, if you repent and get right. Amen? But it retards the mind. It rewrites the frontal lobe of your brain, which isn't even developed when you're a kid. And that's your decision, uh, the place where you make decisions in the frontal lobe and where you make, evaluate of what's valuable and what's not. And it compromises the human being. No wonder we don't have a bunch of men in this country. They've been demasculated. They've been turned into little boys by pornography. Satan knows what he's doing, but I showed the opposite with kindness because it was just on my heart because this country is becoming brutal. And I did a whole message on kindness and all the scientific studies that show you that all the physiological things that happen when you're kind to other people. Mind-blowing. If you're not kind, you'll end up depressed, anxiety-ridden, and everything else. And now you can be depressed and anxiety-ridden and still be a kind person because you can go through a funk or a trial, amen? So I'll say, oh, I must not be kind. I'm kind of depressed. Like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, but that can definitely happen to you as a result of not being kind. But I encourage you to hear last message because I was actually tempted to bring some of those statistics in this message, but I said, nope, I'm not going to do it. It's right there on uh, the podcast. You can check it out, or I should say the live stream or what have you. But we need to be very, very careful with our children. Parents, it's imperative. You are the parent. Your child is there. Spend time with them. Love them. Let, they, let them know you love them. Give them hugs. Give them words of encouragement. Don't just discipline. Discipline's important. Don't lack discipline when it's needed, but do it in love. Amen? Take them up in your arms. Let them know that you care about them. Don't help them. Don't have a void in their hearts to where they just feel like abandoned, unloved, uncared for, and they look for love in the wrong places. They look for companionship in the wrong places. Because your child should not be isolated in their own home. And yes, it's true. You can pour out love to your child and they can go like this to you. Because that happens because there's a spiritual war. But you just keep loving them. Amen? And, and love melts away walls. Amen? The love of God. You know, the Bible talks about how powerful love is. Many waters cannot quench love. The greatest of these is love. Amen? It's a powerful force. It's God's agape love. You love them with the love of God. It's powerful. So we have to make sure that our children are not isolated from us. We also need to cultivate in them a relationship with God. Not just knowing about God, but this is eternal life, Jesus said, that they might know you, a relationship. Amen? And that they might know Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And you cannot just teach them to know God by, you know, by writ as far as here's what the Bible says and stop there. That's not enough. Oh yeah, the Bible's enough to convert them and bring them to Christ. But that's not the end of your job. You need to example and exemplify what it means to know God. That means you're praying. That means they see you relying on God. That means they see you trusting God. That means when you're going through a horrific experience, you're not cussing and getting angry, but you're trusting in God. So they realize, wow, my mom and dad, they love Jesus, man. 
They seek him through everything when it gets tough. They don't turn to alcohol. They don't turn to drugs. They don't turn to using horrible language. They don't turn to blaming everybody else. They humble themselves before God. They get on their knees. They love God. They want to seek him. And, they, and you teach them how to know their God. Because guess what? We're going to see that's one of the things that happened with Daniel. He saw that. He knew what it meant to know God. And that's what got him through this. Because he wasn't isolated. Even though they isolated him, he never was ultimately isolated because he maintained his relationship with Yahweh. Amen? This is critical, you guys, for parenting. And uh, I just want to encourage you, number two, number two, after isolation is indoctrination. First, he took them from their families, ripped them from their, uh, their, their God, ripped them, but they, he couldn't only do that, but their religious expression through the temple, right? And now, it's not only isolation, the next tactic the enemy uses, that's what he uses, tries to use in all of our lives, is indoctrination. Indoctrination. Go ahead and look at verse four. They were supposed to target these young people, use in whom are, was no defect. They wanted the cream of the crop who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving the king in the king's court. Now look at this. And he ordered him to teach them what? Yep, the literature and the language of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Wow. Learn the literature, right? Their books. Not God's word. Their books, and they were very religious books, many of them. And the language of the Chaldeans. So you got this very interesting thing going on here. And right now, in our country, the woke crowd has tried to push isolation. But have they also done anything in regard to indoctrination? Just look at what goes on at the universities. It's gross. In fact, a lot of these so-called woke professors at the biggest universities do not represent most of America in their views. And it's really weird because you could have one that's teaching. You could have, when you kids go through school, you could have an English teacher. I remember when I was going to Moore Park, I had a, a, a social studies teacher and the social studies professor is talking about how he disagrees with the Bible. And Adam and Eve, it says when they sinned the day they ate, they would die. And they didn't die that day. And I was a newer believer at the time. I'm like, yeah, they did. They were separated from God. Spiritual death. I thought this guy's just blind spiritually. And also physically, they began to die that day, man. They're physically, the day they sinned, man, they were dying. But they're already dead spiritually. And the actual in the Hebrew, it says, dying they shall die. And then my report, my next, you know. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. I'm sorry. He gave me a C on it. I don't know. I understand why I knew it was going to be bad. I thought I'd give it an F. You're wrong because of this, because it says, okay, you know. And I'm in a health class at Moore Park College, and guess what? My health teacher is like, just want to let you know, this is way back in the day. Just want to let you know, do all you men out there, and the studies show that everybody here, we've all, you all have, have uh, inclinations towards homosexuality. What? You say about me? I was not made for secular college. And I, I go, how can you know that to be true unless you uh, interviewed every single person on earth? And she goes, ah, 
well, you're right. You can't really know that, right? And then she moved on. Then I stood up and said, repent. No, I didn't do that part, <laughs> you know. But it just, I'm like, wow, these classes don't even have to do with faith, but they're attacking the Christian faith. And what God's word says about marriage, I was like, wow, there's a spirit. That's why they don't say, oh, Buddha, when they hit their finger. They say, Jesus Christ. They don't even know why they say it. People say that all the time. They never even know who he is. It's the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that's working through the children of disobedience and the spirit of Babylon. So there's this indoctrination that goes on. It's an indoctrination that not only goes through, on through wokeism and, you know, but, uh, and the universities and the school systems of today. It goes on through uh, the movies of today. It goes on through the popular music of today, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. There's themes. The Bible says to teach one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. God created music not only to allow us to enter into fellowship with him through praise and worship, ultimately enter into fellowship with him through Jesus, amen, but through that expression, amen, but also as a teaching tool. Teach one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. He's telling that to the church at Colossae. They were a bunch of pagans who had their pagan music. He's teaching that to the church at Ephesus. They were a bunch of pagans who had their pagan music. But he told them to get rid of it. To sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to replace it because those sections are about putting on the new man. And I'm telling you, I love all you guys, but some of you who are coming here and you lift your hands or you worship God, you sing praise to Jesus, and then you go home and you stick on a rap song that says F this, F that, F this, kill the cops, you know, rape the woman, get the hoe, or whatever. How is that Christianity? How can you say that you're following Christ if you love music that blasphemes God, that is contrary to everything that you've taught and you claim to believe? And the fact that if you're listening to that kind of stuff, I'm just being honest with you, you're listening to that kind of stuff, that grieves the spirit of God. If Jesus got in the car with you, would you blast that music? Absolutely not. Well, if you're Christian, Jesus is in the car with you. Amen? Well, that's not what I listen to, Joe. Then don't get defensive. I'm not talking about you. Okay? My music isn't a full of cuss words and all that. I'm not talking to you. Although you got to be careful too because there's a lot of music that isn't overt, but it doesn't lift up the name of Jesus and the focus is on this world and this world system. When the Bible says not to be earthly minded, right? To be heavenly minded, right? And think of those things above. That's God's highest. Amen. And I'm not condemning you if you listen to, uh, have listened to secular music or you, it's not a condemnation thing. Oh, if you're listening to filthy music that's about killing and, and raping and stuff like that, you have to yourself look at yourself. Am I really following Christ? I'm just being honest with you. John prayed that I speak plain. First time I've done that now, right? No. <laughs> I appreciate the prayer, though. But we have to watch out because music is a teaching tool. We learn our ABCs, A, B, C, D, E, right? When we got, we're little, Satan knows how to use music, and he teaches people wickedness. Man, there's so much beautiful Christian music out there. I remember Josh Bidell was saying to me a couple months ago or so, maybe a month and a half ago, he goes, man, there's no excuse not to. There's so much different Christian music today. It's just everywhere you can get good Christian music. There's no reason not to be into Christian music. But watch out for these, the indoctrination of the evil one, you know. So this was a three-year grad school for Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, or Azariah and Mishael, you know. 
as their Hebrew names were. Now, and God continued to know them by those names. So it's interesting. Uh, a three-year grad school, and it was a grad school full of the occult, man. You learn their literature, their history. Glorif they are the zenith of the world empires. They will be around forever now. And your God subjected ours. And they learned the occult. We know that, not only from what we read in Daniel, but in, in the magi there, right? Magicians and so forth and astrologers. We also know from archaeological digs, man, they were into astrology. They were into divination. They were into reading omens, telling the future. They would sacrifice an animal, right? Then they would read its liver and what it's saying about the future. All these things are forbidden in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Forget, forget them guys, God's word. And as Christians, we're supposed to draw a line from what God had forbids even to this day. In Acts chapter 19, verse 19, the church at Ephesus, who'd become new creations in Christ, it says in that verse that they burned all their books on, the, on magic. All their, all, their, all their Harry Potter books up in flames. Well, we can keep this. No, they burn them all. And according to the NLT, which is the modern translation, it says it was worth many millions of dollars to burn. Now, they could have made a lot of money hey, why don't we just sell these things and we could build a bigger building? They weren't meeting in buildings in the first century. Christians were oftentimes hunted by Domitian in the first century, by Nero before that and stuff. But guess what? They didn't say, try to justify it. Oh, it's not that bad. It's just fantasy. It's just worshiping demons and magic and spirits in a fantasy way. Is that okay with God? Is it okay for you to have books on sexual perversion, but they're based on just fantasy? A guy's going on and betting a bunch of different women. Is that okay? No. God doesn't want us to fantasize about doing that which he calls an abomination to him. So today, there's an education, there's an indoctrination going on in the ways of the world. Kids are told that, well, really, the baby in the womb is not really not a baby. Let's use the word fetus. Fetus means baby, by the way. But people just don't understand that. And it's just tissue. It's not really alive. People are re-indoctrinated. Indoctrination. So isolation and indoctrination. Parents, you need to educate your children and teach them the word of God, amen? And we'll get back to that when we get in more of some of the application. So there's isolation. What was the next move? Indoctrination, it's a four-pronged approach. And then next is inducement. I was staying with the eyes. Inducement. Inducement, I even had insidious inducement. Got two eyes, you know? <laughs> inducement. Seduction into the pleasures of the Babylonian world. In fact, it's interesting. Look at verses 6 and 7. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then we read, then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, right? And Daniel, he assigned the name Bel Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And Azariah, Abednego. Now it's interesting. Uh, you get all kinds of things going on. And, but you have inducement. How does he induce them? Well, back up to verse 5. The king appointed for them a what? A daily ration from the king's choice food. Ooh, he's wowing them, man. Look what you get to eat. Lobster tail, you know. Plump, the most the best pork chops you can get your, your lips around and your tongue on. Wow. And from wine, which he drank. 
the king's wine. That's the best wine in the kingdom. And appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to what? Enter the king's personal service. We get to rub shoulders with the king. King of Nebuchadnezzar. His palace was one of the seven wonders of the world. His gardens. Uh, the ancient seven wonders. If you type in ancient seven wonders, don't do that right now. But the hanging gardens of Babylon will be there. He was inducing them, right? And they forbade, you know, Daniel, did he eat that stuff? No. And there's debate as to why he didn't eat it because it doesn't say why he made that decision. Some believe it was because he didn't want to get seduced into the affluence of the king of Babylon and forget Yahweh as he enjoyed pleasure every day with the king and the choicest food in his wine. Others believe it's because the food was not kosher. It was pork and it was, uh, you know, shellfish and things of that nature. Others feel, no, it's because the animals were sacrificed to pagan gods. Doesn't tell us why. It could have been all three of the above. It could have been one or two of those or one of those. Either way, Daniel, now keep in mind, you know how Daniel is, old Daniel is here about? Anybody know? Come on. 16, 18. Most scholars uh, deduce 14, 15, 16, right around there. He's a teenager. Yet guess what? He's making moral decisions. He has deep-seated convictions. Certain things I do that my God is pleased with, certain things I do not do. If your child, 14, 15, 16, 15, 16, 17, however old, was flung into this situation, would they endure? Right now, you need to fortify your children because, man, we live in a time where the woke crowd wants to rule the nation, where you can't even tell your children about Jesus anymore. Right now is the day to fight the indoctrination of the evil one, amen? Fight the inducement. Teach your children how to fast. Teach your children uh, how to deny themselves. If you don't discipline your child ever and every time they want something, you give it to them and you teach them that you're constantly going to be gratified every time you have a need, you're setting them up for failure because then they'll compromise in life when they don't get their way. They're going to want it and throw a temper tantrum. My children, when they threw temper tantrums, ask them. It didn't go so well. Holly was a great little girl. Man, but when she was two years old or so, three, first time I saw her throw a temper tantrum, and she just threw, started crying. Uh, she was pretty smart. She was even smart back then. She like crying. And then she looks in back of her a little bit so she knows where she can fall. She goes, throws herself down and starts kicking. <laughs> and you're not, you're not upset. I haven't disciplined you yet. Then I gave her a gentle but firm reason not to do that again. <laughs> and she never threw that temper tantrum again. It was healed right there. Okay? Not that it always happens that way, okay? I have three kids. It doesn't always work out the first time around. Holly needed discipline for other reasons at different times, but that was cured right there. Because you teach them that it's not about them being their own little God and getting their, their way. Amen? That there's consequences to rebellion. Because if you don't teach them that, you set them up for destruction. Because then they don't get their way and they get real upset with somebody. They get, end up fighting. They get stabbed to death or whatever, you know? Or they just live for themselves. So there's inducement. And, and it was inducing. I mean, if you were in Babylon, 
I mean, you're talking about walls, 300, pretty impressive, 300 feet tall. Think about that. 56 feet wide. Huge walls. Now, I'm sorry, not wide. <laughs> I already said how wide they are. They're, they were uh, 85 feet thick, six, 56 miles long. That's just amazing. They had the Ishtar Gate that you would go through, and it was like six, the, the highway that you'd walk on, 65 feet wide, paved with marble and limestone. And then the sidewalks on both sides was this bright red, you know, incredibly uh, uh, beautiful uh, red tile sidewalk, and you'd be impressed. And you'd be induced to say, well, this is our new home. This is amazing. And they must be, oh, pragmatism kicks in. They must be doing something right because we've been defeated. But they didn't go that route, man. They didn't fall for inducement. Amen? They weren't induced and seduced by the glamour of Babylon. Even though they were being isolated, they were being indoctrinated and being induced. These four young men stood for God. The next thing on the list was first is isolation, then indoctrination, then inducement. And then the next one, is identity dysphoria. Okay. Have you heard of gender dysphoria? Very pop popular talk right now. Or you could call it, number four, identity theft. Identity theft. Look at chapter one, verse six again. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar. And to Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And by the way, if you're familiar with Babylonian names, you'll see Abed, Abednego. Nego, N-E-G-O, is one of the Babylonian gods. And it's interesting here because they were given names by their parents and then they were given new names. Okay, in fact, Daniel, his name was changed to a Babylonian deity, deity which is uh, Bel, and the name of his, his new name meant Bel, uh, that may Bel be the protector of his life. Wow. You're talking indoctrination and you're talking identity theft now. He's made an image of God. But now Bel is getting the glory, Okay. And you have these other meanings, the Babylonian pagan deities of Bel. Then you have Marduk, and you have Aku, and you have ne uh, Nebo, okay? You have all these various gods. Their names are changed to various gods. Now, it's kind of interesting because the names are, they're misspelled a little bit. They're, the, uh, the pagan gods are right there. You can see them, but they're misspelled a little bit. And some believe Daniel, when he wrote them, misspelled them purposely because he wanted to diminished, make sure he wasn't giving glory to these false gods. Kind of interesting. We don't know exactly why that is, but that sounds like a very uh, good reason. And dysphoria, right now we hear all kinds of people. I think it was my niece, uh, Joanna, was just talking about, you know, I can't believe it's all over the internet. Joe, she's mom, her uncle, she's like, oh, Joe, it's all over the internet. Uh, people that she sees, Instagram, wherever, they're just 
changing their sex. It's really, uh, you know, so-called gender fluidity, gender dysphoria, uh, you know, changing your gender. It's really sex. You're talking about sex changing, right? Transsexualism is really what it is, but they like to use these, oh, it's, you know, gender dysphoria. Make it sound sweet and nice. It's, it's, it's wrecking all kinds of kids' lives. And it's super, super heartbreaking. And Satan wants to, dysphoria means dissatisfaction. It brings confusion. And it's gender dissatisfaction. I'm upset that I'm a man, you know? And if you're a male, Satan wants you, if he can get to you in this way, a lot of people he can't even, nobody's gonna, most people are like, no, I'm not going there. Other people, because they go through all kinds of things. They've been sexually abused maybe, right? They've been abandoned by their, uh, one of their parents or both. They're under a huge amount of peer pressure, and this is now cool and vogue in social media. And they give in, could be any number of different influences, demonic influences, that's very, very real. W- demons whispering, this is who you really are. This is who you really are. This would go better for you. In fact, uh, I told the story some time back, years ago probably, about uh, a man that was given, uh, that went into the spiritual realm. And he saw these demons and Satan with all these rooms full of seeds. And these were seeds that they could plant in people's hearts. Because he said, what are these, these big bins with seeds for? He goes, well, this is a seed of suicide. We put it in a kid's heart, or an adult's heart, when we feel it'll work. We try. And this is a seed of, 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 of greed right here. We've got many souls through greed. He goes, what's this huge warehouse for? What's, what's seeds in there? He goes, oh, that's the seed of discouragement, dissatisfaction, and discontentment. That works best. We make people discontent with their lives. And we feed them lies and tell them what they could be instead of what they've been created to be. And it works so well. Well, that's going on right now, guys. Satan's putting those types of seeds. That's not a true story, by the way. But Satan's putting those types of seeds in people's hearts in mass, all over the place. He wants to erase male masculinity. Do you know masculinity in the woke crowd and the popular media right now is, is treated as being toxic? Oh, beating them. Man, back in the day, man, if you were a man, you need to be a man, you need to protect your family, you need to love your family, right? And you lay down your life for your family. Now it's considered an evil thing. And he seeks to destroy masculinity among men. Don't let that happen. If you're a man, be a man. Paul says, stand up like a man and be strong. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you're a woman, don't let Satan rob you of your femininity. He wants to destroy the beauty of your femininity. That is, that is what God created you. He created you in his image. So he's giving you a sensitivity that he himself has. That's beautiful. He's given it to you in ways he hasn't given it to men. Don't let Satan pollute that. Don't let him attack that. Don't let him destroy that in you. I was talking to a Filipino Christian leader when I went up there and I did a pastor's conference on one of our trips to the Philippines to rebuild what had been destroyed by the typhoon and help people out. And we were talking, and he talked about how a couple of the young girls that were in his classes became lesbians. And he said, but they both turned back to Christ and got married. And I asked what he shared with them. He goes, you know what I shared with them? I saw them later on, and they were a little bit older, and they were both lesbians. Separate accounts, he said, I shared with them. I go, he goes, have you had your period yet? 
Oh, that's an interesting question. And they said, both said, yeah. He goes, why? God created you with a reproductive system. Unless they have the gift of singleness, you've been created to have children. You've been created to be with a man. You can't have two women together, and one woman can't impregnate another woman, right? And it convicted them to realize that they were made a certain way. He went back to the biology. went back to the science. He went back to God's word, amen? And now today, we have men becoming women. A lot of times, it's because they want to they win the race. They're tired of getting beat by other men, and they're really wimps, and they're like, I'm going to win the race, so I'm going to become a woman. And they win by several seconds, and every people, the woke crowds, yeah, look at this. And the woke crowd don't care about women because you care about all the women who work their rear ends off to get in that race, and then you just got destroyed by a man. That's not caring about women. It's caring about an ideology that's anti-God and anti-Christ. Drag queens telling story, doing story time for kids in the schools now, in the libraries, right? Confusion from social media where there's all this in Disney Plus and everywhere else, you know? Remember, I just played a clip for you recently where one of the leaders in Disney said she puts queerness everywhere and nobody is doing anything about it. They're indoctrinating and they're inducing and they're isolating and they're creating identity theft, making your child to be something they were never created to be. Wow. The New York Times, even the New York Times, which we shouldn't, shouldn't surprise us, there are many gradations running from female to male Along the spectrum lie at least five sexes. Really? That's not scientific. New York Times wrote that. We have a Supreme Court justice, new one, right? Who, on camera, when she's being vetted, you know, what's the Can you tell the difference? A male and female? I can't tell the difference. I'm not a biologist. I don't know the difference. That is a Supreme Court justice. Oh, when a woman wants to have an abortion, oh, she's definitely a woman, woman's rights. Says, oh, she's a woman now, I can tell the difference. It's all about an agenda, folks. According to healthline.com, there are 64 different terms that describe genders. Wow, this is amazing. I remember my mom, you know. Hi, mom, love you. She's over in Idaho right now. Good to, good to love you very much, but she shared with me when all this stuff first started going on. She was like, I remember her saying, she's a nurse at the time, she's like, when the doctor said, I don't care how much they want to claim to be women, these men, these who are claiming to be women, they, all, they all still have prostates. They have to have prostate exams. They're still men. You can pretend, but the gig is up. You're really still a man. Women do not have prostates. And somebody that was supposed to be an expert in this field was being, you know, asked recently, you might have seen it, you know, can men get pregnant? I don't know if you saw that. She goes, yes, men can get pregnant. Men can't get pregnant, but men pretending or women pretending to be men can get pregnant. This is just, just absolutely mind-boggling. It's important that you teach your children the truth. Listen to uh, Genesis chapter one. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and what? Female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That only happens with a male and a female. And fill the earth, okay? You need to teach your children a biblical worldview. The simplest truths that you might take for granted, don't take for granted. Teach them these simple, basic truths of God's word. And then go to Matthew 19 and say, our Lord Jesus Christ, who fulfilled all the prophecies, proving he's the Messiah. He said in Matthew 19, have you not heard that in the beginning God made them male and female? But God's joined together, let no man separate. Amen? That this was God's plan from the beginning. 
And it was about also being fruitful and multiplying. Procreation, amen? Bringing forth children, amen? And guess what? If you fortify your children with godly convictions when the enemy comes to tempt them, it'll be really, really difficult, okay? So it's important to teach them just, by the way, this is the anti-science crowd. Now we have evidence because of DNA code that we were created. You can't deny it. It's just all written in us, right? We have a conscience. We were created by a moral God that's given us conscience. You can't deny that we have a conscience that tells us that there's good and evil, right? And you can't tell us, you can't say that that child in the womb is not alive. Science says it's breathing, or it's breathing through the umbilical cord and it's growing. It's a life and it's human life, right? And you can't tell us that there's not different chromosomes in a male that there aren't a female. There's male and female, you can't just start making things up. They are the anti-science crowd. But they like to use the word science when it fits their agenda. Versus science, well, I'm not into God, I'm into science. Science is a fancy word that means knowledge. And the Bible warns about science or knowledge falsely so-called. Amen? So it's very, very important that we get this and we understand it. According to psychology today, because there are different types of gender dysphoria, they tell us. One is basically the onset that's young, when your child is very, very young, right? Four years old, two to four years old, supposedly, right? And then the other one is rapid onset of gender dysphoria. Well, some children, when they're very young, I mean, how many of you wanted to be something when you were a little kid? You wanted to be a bird? I wish I could fly. I remember thinking, man, I'd love to be that hawk, man. Look over thing. Wow. My parents overheard me say that, and all of a sudden, I'm in the hospital, I wake up and I've got wings sewn onto me. Well, I didn't really mean that. I'm not supposed to be a bird. I probably can't fly so good. Just like a woman really isn't a man. A man isn't really a woman. It'd probably mess up my life if they sewed big giant wings onto me. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I get crazy sometimes when I just make up illustrations on the fly. But, you know, it's just, it's crazy. Oh, I wish I was a snake. You wake up and your arms and your legs have been cut off. I wasn't serious. Okay, but they take it seriously because kids fantasize. Kids see a bunch of girls playing. I remember when I was at the house, you know, my, me and Tom weren't together doing whatever we did, playing G.I. Joe or whatever, and the girls were playing house. I'd sit there as a little guy like, I wish I could play house just so I could have some hang out with other people. I didn't like the idea of playing house. I'd rather turn it into a football game and I might try after I start playing house with them. But you know what? didn't mean I want to be a girl. Okay, and even if I don't want to be a girl, that's not normal because the demonic world is really real, right? They put all kinds of thoughts in people's minds and we have to be very aware of that. But what's interesting, even on this early onset of gender dysphoria, even psychology today admitted only a small number of children with gender dysphoria will continue to have symptoms in later adolescence or adulthood. What does that mean? It means all these parents that say, oh, you want to, oh, you, oh, boom, let's give you an operation. They would have grown out of that. And that's why many of them do grow out of that, then they become suicidal. Disproportionate amount of people that have had sex changes have, are suicidal, and many of them end their lives. And rapid onset gender dysphoria are those who have no inclination to be the opposite of sex, but guess what? Peer pressure, social media, it's popular. Oh, I want to change my sex. I'll get some attention, or, or I just, my friend's doing it, or whatever. It all is really, really, really sad stuff, guys. I read about a uh, little girl in China where a lot of times they dispose of little girls because they could only have, at that time, you could only have one kid. Now I think you can have two. Is it two now? You can have two. But she was abandoned by her mom and her dad because they wanted a boy who could take care of them when they were older. 
She was adopted here in the United States. Guess what she wanted to be? A boy. Look how boys are, are loved more than girls. And her name's Sabrina. True story. And it's very, very sad. We need to make sure we're giving our children attention and showing them we love them for the way God created them. Amen? It's very, very, very important. We need to watch out for indoctrination and identity theft that comes through the media. Right now, the big Marvel movie out that's been out this last month is uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And one of the main, the main hero that can get from one universe to the next and has a special power. Her name is America Chavez. And in the comics, she's lesbian. And she has two moms. And she's part of the young Avengers. The young the Avengers, they're going to be the older Avengers soon. They're, they're the young Avengers. And uh, other superheroes in Marvel decide, are decided today is gay among the young Avengers are Kid Loki, Wiccan, who is Scarlet Witch's son, Wicca, came from Crowley, Hulking, Prodigy, Norvar, Speed, and Kate Bishop's Hawkeye. In the Young Avengers, Kate Bishop asked American Chavez if she was the only straight member of, of the team. Are you the only straight member of the team? To which the gay Chavez declares, quote, Princess, I've seen the way you look at me. You're not that straight. In other words, guess what? It's a whole team, pretty much. And that's where they're taking the kids, guys. You can't just park your children in front of this stuff, guys. It's indoctrination. It's Isolation, it's indoctrination, it's inducement, and it's identity theft or identity dysphoria. In fact, I looked at some numbers, man. Between 900, children typically spend anywhere between 900 and 1,000 uh, hours annually, every year, uh, in school, which means at the end of their, their history as children in school, they get 11,000 years of, if that's government schools, that's 11,000 years of, of schooling by many, I'm sorry, hours of, of wokeism. 11,000 hours at the end of their, their lifetime of, of government school wokeism. And not all that's wokeism. And sometimes there's great teachers, and some of you are among them, that aren't teaching that, those, those lies, but those lies get taught in different schools, especially the more leftist-emphasizing schools. Some schools, thankfully, have teachers that aren't emphasizing that. There's a landmark uh, release of, by Common Sense Media found that teenagers between ages 13 and 18 have an astounding average of nine hours of entertainment media per day. So you add the wokeism taught in the schools, government schools, not all of them, again, not all teachers, but many of them. And then you add, which is crazy to me, okay, nine hours a day of entertainment watching the screen in a, a day. I'm blown away. And this is by common sense media. And I did the math. I added that up. That's about 20,000 hours from 13 to 18, okay? And then I said, okay, how many hours are there on social media? And common sense media again, uh, between five to seven and a half hours a day they spend on social media, according to Common Sense Media. And I did the math, five. I took the conservative number, five times 365, right? And from age 13 to 18, and by the time that's over, they have 11,000 hours of social media, the average kid. Actually, more than that, but I'm taking conservative numbers. And then I added all those hours together, and your children get about 42,000 hours of government school, if they're in the government schools, social media and entertainment. And you know what? It's very hard for me to find entertainment that isn't full with junk. And what are the kids watching? They, there's not a lot of good stuff out there. So it's just constant bombardment. And then you could add the music to that and so forth. It's 50,000 or more hours. That's, do you realize how big that? And how many hours are they getting educated in Jesus by you? You need to combat that, man. 
You need to try to keep them from the evils of the world, the evil influences. Make sure what they're learning. If your child is in a government school, make sure they don't have parents or uh, teachers that are indoctrinating them. Amen? Pray about maybe having, if they are, pray about uh, homeschooling, you know? I had to homeschool my children, and it wasn't just to, so I knew they wouldn't get taught junk, but it was also to keep them from evil influences. And by the grace of God, they all love the Lord now. It doesn't always happen that way, but I thank Jesus. Amen? So it's very, very important. Peer pressure is just a huge thing for kids. Something stuck in my mind. I remember I, I, when I was a kid, man, I liked candy camera. I think it was candy camera where I saw it. And all these kids go in, all these pe- adults go into an a, a elevator, and they go in the elevator, and there's only one door, but everybody's turned the wrong way. And it would show them, they'd be like, like oh, they're turned the wrong way. And then they'd turn the right way, like when they go in, and, everybody's, and then they'd slowly turn around, like, I don't want to stand out. Well, guess what? Satan's turning people away to the wrong door, away from Christ because of peer pressure. And it's very easy with kids who want to be accepted. Amen? We need to teach our kids to be like Daniel, man, who was courageous instead of cowardly, who didn't care about standing out. Amen? You know, the guys that walk the, the wire, you know the guys at the circus that walk the wire? What's that, the trapeze, the, uh, tight, the tight, tight wire? How do you do that? I mean, that's gnarly, right? And they do somersaults and everything. And one guy was explaining how he does it with just abandonment. He could just do it. Well, there's a net under me. Number one, there's a net. Amen? And number two, because there's a net, I know that if I fall, I'm okay. Because I'm doing my best. And if I fall, I'm going to be caught. So it gives me a sense of freedom to just do what I've been doing. Well, guess what? Guess what God's word says? In Deuteronomy 33, 27, we have a net under us, man. The eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. That's better than that, amen? He's got his everlasting arms. Isaiah 46, 4, even to your old age, I will be the same, and even to your uh, grain hairs, I will bear you up, amen? So guess what? You serve God because ultimately if you're serving him and seeking him, right, even if you lose your head, even if you get persecuted, no matter what you go through, just serve him because guess what? You have the everlasting arms under you. Amen? And we don't have to fear man, okay? In fact, let's look at a couple pics real quick. Right here we see, uh, I love this. Remember Nebuchadnezzar built an image and he had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or Hananiah, Azariah, right? And uh, Mishael bow down. And everybody bowed down, but they refused to bow down, man. And that was like an image of the Antichrist, 660, 66 feet wide or tall, six feet wide and six instruments. If we could show that picture, that would be great. Uh, well, there they're bowing down. I love this. This is Keith Green's uh, album, No Compromise. And guess what? You have one guy that refuses to bow down. I want to be that guy. I want you, brother, to be that brother. I want you, sister, to be that person, amen, that refuses to bow down. Because Nebuchadnezzar was a picture of the Antichrist, the beast, and the harlot system is coming in full. But you know what his parents taught him? You know what Daniel's name means? He, they, from a kid. They changed his name, right? But he, he's still Daniel when you go through the book of Daniel. He's even, we find that later, he's still called Daniel. They know his real name. You know what it is? You know what his name means? God is judge. They taught him that God is judge. That he knew God will judge me. Ultimately, I'm going to stand not before Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to stand before God. Amen. And when he was in the lion's den, he didn't deny the Lord. Amen. And God delivered him. And, 
we can maybe show a picture of the lion's den. And I love this, man, because Daniel in the lion's den, it's usually he's a younger guy, you know, looks kind of young there. And he usually looks even younger than that. A lot of pictures have him as like a little kid. He's, about, he's in his 80s at the time. Those convictions that he was taught from a little child stayed with him all those years. Teach your children Yahweh is God. We're told that Hebrew mothers and fathers, when their baby's bo newly born, comes out of the womb, the first thing they whisper into their ear is Yahweh is God. Amen? Teach them who the true God is. Teach them that they're created in the image of God, male and female, to procreate, to glorify God and live for him and know him forever. Amen? Let's not give in to compromise. I love his name. Yahweh, or God is my judge. You know, uh, I think it's amazing because the other names of the other kids, I love all their names. And I think this is very, very interesting. Guess what Hananiah's name means? God is gracious. Guess what Mishael's name means? Who belongs to God. Guess what Azariah's name means? Yahweh helps. And I look at that. I, it occurred to me just before I did this message. Wow, their names tell their whole story. Amen? That, that, that Yahweh's going to help you. Ultimately, you belong to God. Amen? God is judge. You're going to stand before him. But he's gracious. Just stick to him. Amen? And let be, that be our stories. Amen? Teach your children the truth. Teach them to follow the Lord. Give them godly convictions. Let them know they will stand before God. Let them know that they are going to give an account before God. And the last verse I share with you is verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind. This is how he had success. He made up his mind that he would not what? Defile himself with the king's choice food. Or with the wine which he drank. People trying to say, hey, come on, let's, just, let's get drunk. I mean, I know we're Christians, but we can drink a little bit and get drunk. You, you can drink a little bit, but you can't get drunk. Don't be falling for it. And he read, made up his mind. Tell your kids, make up your mind that you aren't going to be partying. That you're not going to be go getting drunk and getting stoned and smoking pot. That you're not going to be doing wicked things. That you're not going to, that God is your judge. Remember that. That you belong to him. That he's gracious and he'll be your help and you'll get through whatever you go through. And God will give you the strength to stand in your temptations. Amen. Revelation 18.4 says, come out of her, meaning Babylon, my people. Right? Come out of her, my people. Lest you partake of her sins and of her plagues. You let them know that God is your judge, and if you rebel against him, become part of the world system, you will be judged by God. And that judgment goes into eternity. You need to be like Daniel who made up his mind. Teach them now to make up their mind for God. Now! Encourage them. Love them. NIV says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. New Living Translation says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself. ESV, the English Standard Version says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. The New King James Version, I looked at several versions today, but Daniel purposed in his heart. Teach them to purpose in their heart. Now listen, you can let them know that if they purpose in their heart to serve God and don't compromise, all will end well. Because when the Lord said in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, everybody quotes that verse, but a few people know the context, right? What did he promise them? A lot of you have that memorized. That his plan is not to what? What's that? Come on, sisters. Huh? Harm you or what? And, right, bring you calamity, but what? To give you what? To give you welfare, to give you hope, to give you a what? A future, amen? And they're going to Babylon for 70 years. It might be a really hard time. It doesn't mean you're not going to have a hard time. That's 70 years of hard time. But I'm going to get you through it. I'm going to bring you back. And Daniel was radically blessed. And, it's, uh, and some teach this and say, yeah, look, if you do these things, you'll, be, you'll have prosperity. Daniel went to the right hand of Pharaoh practically. Or I'm sorry, King Nebuchadnezzar. No, you might lose your head. 
when the, they're in the lion's den, oh, he gets out of it, but when they're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are ready to be torched, he said, our God's able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to deny him, amen? Because it might be God's way of glorifying himself. So what we need to teach our children no matter what happens, not the prosperity purity gospel, no matter what happens, you glorify your God through all hardships and you just refuse to bow down to the enemy and you will be blessed in the end one way or another, amen? That's the ultimate end of the story because God works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, amen? Can we all please stand?